it's always funny to come up after stuff like that because you're like, good morning. It's like, I just saw you. It's like family members who won't leave this time of year, you know? Or maybe that's just me. Oh, there we go. There's at least three of us. Thank you, Pastor Carmen. Thank you, Pastor Carmen. I always know I could trust on you. Um, family's complicated for some of us, that's all. If any of my family's watching this morning online, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. If you think it's you, it's definitely not you. All right, well, welcome. Uh, it's good to be together this morning. Again, if you're watching online, hello. We're so glad to have you with us. Um, what a blessing to be able to worship uh, in this season with all that's going on. We can still come together and worship the Lord together. Uh, this Sunday morning, it's the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, it's kind of as we introduced Advent last week, we said that this is amazing because we get to join with both the, the worldwide church and the historic church. The worldwide church meaning that, you know, outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, United States, North America, we join with Christians around the world as we wait with expectations, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for me, um, the, uh, the, the even cooler part about that is that we join now thousands of years and generations upon generations of Christians who have zeroed in on this time of year to stop to wait, to remember that God comes to us. The other cool thing about Advent is that we'll see it in the text today, is that this is when the, the promise was fulfilled, that Jesus Christ has many names. But one of my favorite names of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Eugene Peterson says the greatness of Advent, the greatness of Jesus, that as he saw it was flesh and blood. Jesus, the God of the universe, became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Uh, the, the Bernard of Clairvaux, who's in the 12th century, an early Christian, looked at it like this. He says, the joy of Advent isn't just that Jesus comes, but that Jesus has come, Jesus is coming, and Jesus will come. And he looked at Advent as this, and it, it kind of goes back to this idea, too, that in the, in the Greek and the Latin that was first written in, Advent also pointed to the coming of not just Jesus as a baby, but the second coming. Right? So when Bernard of Clairvaux summed it all up, he says, we as people need Jesus to come in flesh so that we can know that no matter what we go through, God is with us. But we also need him to be the savior of our world and the one who forgives us. So we not only need that God to come through in flesh, but we need God to come in our hearts. But lastly, we all long for him to come again in glory, where we'll be with him and together forever. Now, here at Advent, here at HBIC, when we look at Advent, we have four common themes that we kind of go through each year. They are hope, peace, joy, and love. For hope, we talk about, it's the idea that Advent reminds us that our trust should be firmly placed in God. For peace, we go to the biblical idea of shalom, about how God himself is setting all things right. But not only right, but right in God's eyes. For peace or for, for joy, we talk about the, the, the joy that we are to live with in celebrating God's blessings to us. And for love, we just look at Jesus because Jesus is love. Hope, peace, joy, love. This year we are moving through Advent by looking at the Gospel of Matthew. So we're kind of looking through Matthew's pen and the different perspectives that he thought was important to this Advent story. Now, last year, I actually preached on the passage we'll be preaching on this morning, which is Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And last year, when I focused on it, I talked about how for Joseph, in this baby Jesus that came, Jesus brought him hope. And Jesus revealed to him the God of hope. Well, this year, I thought it actually was funny how all these themes kind of play in together. Because as I read through the story again this year, I realized that, you know, Joseph needed peace. 
And I think the spirit, uh, the, the, the angel and the messenger coming to him here in Matthew 1 gives him the peace that I think not only that Jesus brings, but a peace that we all need. When we talk about shalom and peace, is the idea of peace with God, peace with creation, peace with others, peace with self. And I think that messenger coming down to meet with Joseph in his dream is the way God blessed him with peace. Um, yeah, so if you have your Bibles, um, turn to me in Matthew chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 18 and 25. If you're in-house, we'll also have it projected up here. Uh, before we get to the scripture text, I just want to pray. This is a, uh, a prayer I think I uh, wrote uh, kind of looking at Anna, who we looked at last a couple years ago. And I call this Peace from God Anna song. Just kind of looking at her testimony to kind of, in, in, I guess, inspire these words. But let's pray together. God, we thank you for peace with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can know peace with each other. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can know peace with our world around us. We thank you, God, our Father, for calling us. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to be faithful. Help us, Holy Spirit, to bear much fruit for your glory. Lead us, God, to all you have sent us to. Teach us, Jesus, to grow full of grace. Help us, Holy Spirit, to serve with love. God, fill our lives with peace. Lord Jesus, make us instruments of your peace. Holy Spirit, use us to fill our world with God's peace. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start at verse 18. Uh, again, I'll be reading Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So last week when we talked about the hope that Jesus brings, we looked at, or through Matthew's lens, we, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. In this genealogy, in this story of generation and generation of father and sons, father, sons, and, and mothers, um, Matthew is trying to bring us to this point where we realize that in Jesus, Israel has their hope realized. And even though Israel's hope was for a king, uh, in our setting, it's probably like a, a better president, right? Israel were a people who were under the Rome, Roman rule. There were people who were oppressed. There were people who lived in their own land, but didn't have the rights of their land. There are people who, who kind of felt like the Romans came in and kicked them out of their land and then forced them to live as a second or third class citizens in their own land. There are people who were finding their way in a relationship with God, but had generations and upon generations of faithfulness to God, yes, but also breaking God's covenant. They had a, not necessarily a complicated relationship, but part of the reason they lost their land was because they were not faithful to God. Yet, they wanted a better king. They wanted a better earthly leader. They wanted someone to come who would not only be a royal in the line of David, but someone who would come and kick out Herod and kick out the Roman puppets and kick out all the Romans and set up their kingdom on earth 
as it is in heaven, but meaning something different, right? They wanted an earthly kingdom that would kind of put them in their right place and say, look, we are God's people. We are in charge. We're in control. But Matthew seems to think that's not what Jesus was coming for. Jesus was not coming up to set up their kingdom, but his father's kingdom. Jesus was coming to set up a kingdom where not only Israel would be saved, but all God's people would be saved from their sins. Jesus is hope for the world, not just for Israel. So he would come and be a greater teacher than Moses. He would come and not just be the Savior, but the Messiah that God uses to save all of his children. In this genealogy, in these stories, we found time and time again that God fulfills his promises. We're invited to not only look at the story of Jesus, but to look at our own lives and see how God has been faithful to us over the years. Jesus comes to bring hope so that we can give hope. But after that, we get to Joseph. And we kind of get to the, not just the history or the genealogy, but I think we're actually interrupting an earthly scene of like, well, all that sounds great, but how did they deal with it? What were the practical implications of a virgin birth to a engaged Joseph? What does that look like? And I think what it looks like is God gifting peace. I think what it looks like is Jesus is coming, bringing peace to not only Joseph, but to us. Now, before we talk about that in detail, it's important to at least acknowledge that, you know, we might say peace and all mean different things, right? There's different ways we understand things. For example, in my house, I had to learn, it took me a while, I had to learn that some of us grew up saying righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Some of us say, you know, turn it clockwise. And, and even though you're saying the same things, you know, when you're making Ikea furniture, you just miss each other, right? Um, and I used to, people, one person laughed, they know the pain, right? I used to, like, think this, like, I was the first one who thought about this, about how Ikea furniture is given to destroy marriages, right? Like, that's the whole purpose of Ikea furniture. Like, you think it's simple, but it's not simple. It's meant to destroy marriages. And every time I was a little wild with my thinking, until this lady from Stanford wrote a PhD dissertation proving Hank right, right? Like saying, Ikea literally destroys marriages, and this is why. Now, she had 100 pages, and I didn't read all the 100 pages. All I knew was I was right, you know? But I think it's important for us to at least acknowledge that even though we might be using the same words, we sometimes mean different things. So when we talk about peace, the first thing is some of us, when we think of peace, we think about tranquility, right? Um, uh, in my younger days, whatever that means, right? I used to love hiking. As a city kid, I just loved being in nature. Nah, you take me out of the city, I get terrified, right? But when I was young and bold, I used to love being in nature, right? And, and I've had the joy and privilege of hiking Catskills, Shenandoah, a couple other mountains I can't pronounce, you know? And I always hated the journey up, right? I hated having a pack on my back. I hated being hungry. I hated being thirsty but having to portion out my water so I don't dehydrate, right? I hated everything about it until I got to the top. And when I got to the top, it was this beautiful reminder, not only of how small I was and how big God was, but that God is majestic and beautiful and amazing. And if you've never slept at the top of a mountain under the lights of the sky, you haven't lived, right? And it's beautiful. And I, I used to love that. And so for some of us, that's tranquility. That's peace. That's quiet. That's like, ah, peace. For others of you, it might be walking along the river or, or sitting by a still and quiet lake. For those of you who are blessed to be parents, it's when everyone goes to sleep. Right? When, maybe that's me too again. I'm just talking about myself this morning. Like, when everyone goes to sleep and you just go, ah, that's peace. 
For other people, though, when they think about peace, they think about the absence of war or conflict. And I always like to remind us as Americans, like, we don't know what that's like. Because if you look at our history, out of the 244 years we've been America, we have been at war for 226 years. Now, most of us don't experience that because we're not actively fighting these wars or it doesn't necessarily hit our shores, right? But we as a country just live to war. And that's what empires do. They war, right? So we have to settle for other fights and conflicts. Like, like for example, you ever tell a coffee drinker it's disgusting? You know, it's just like they look at you like you're an alien, you know? And it's like, but it's disgusting. And they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, it tastes bitter and gross and you want to spit it out. Like, where, does, where do you get lost at, you know? And they're like, but I need it. And I was like, we have addiction classes. I can send you to Pastor Woody and we can help you with this, right? Peace is the absence of conflict. And we have absence of conflict. So coffee drinkers, we have peace. You and I. But for some of us, it's not just tranquility and quiet or the absence of conflict. For some of us, it's just needing Sabbath. It's just needing rest. It's needing time to not only relax, but to recover and to be refreshed. And why do we need to be refreshed? My first question, my first answer to this was like, have you been breathing in 2020? You know? But I think even outside of 2020, we live in a world where we don't have peace with ourselves because we suffer from these oppressive thoughts. Thoughts of like us not being good enough. Not, 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 not the best you know, mom or dad or, or sister or son or father. Not the best friend. We struggle with these oppressive thoughts. Brene Brown, who's a really good author, talks about this all the time, is that a lot of times when we struggle with guilt and shame, we make this shift from I did something wrong or I did something bad to what? I am bad. I am wrong. And I think those oppressive thoughts are what the devil uses to keep us not only paralyzed, but to take our eyes off of God and to keep them firmly planted on ourselves. Oppressive thoughts leave us in a place where we say, I will never be good enough. I am not loved. I am not heard. I do not belong. That's what we fight daily, some of us. And if it's not the oppressive thoughts, some of us struggle from overwhelming expectations. This life that I have now is not the life I dreamed of. My life should be so much better than it is, bigger than it is. I should have more, more, more. I should be able to do this and this and this. We have all these expectations that we get from our world and put on ourselves, that we get from our friends or our family and put on ourselves, that we get from ourselves and put them on ourselves. We struggle also from overtaxing busyness. And something you can help me with, to be honest, is the next time you ask me how I'm doing, right, if I say busy, I want you to call me out on it because I think there's so many of us, we never answer the question. When someone says, how are you doing? At least for me, my first reaction is like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to breathe, right? It's just been so busy. That is not good. <laughs> that is not okay. And we need to stop letting that be okay. How are you doing? How's your soul? How are you breathing? How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with the people around you? How are you doing? Not just how busy you are. Because the thing I've learned about busyness is that we tend to live these lives of hurry, but God seems to talk in silence. We tend to have so much on our plate, and what we don't realize is it's kind of a zero-sum game, meaning that we have so much on our plate that God doesn't have any of our plate or our hearts. Our tables are so full that God is an uninvited guest. So our busyness that we live with is not only overtaxing, but it's pushing us away from God, and we're just doing, 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 instead of being or being with him. 
If busyness sums up where we are, we cannot have peace. Now, for some of us, peace is harmony, right? I said things all made right. It's just stuff that fit together. Like me and my wife, you know, she's wonderful. It just makes sense. We make sense. It just fits together perfectly. The only thing more perfect than Shell and Hank fitting together is kale and the trash can, right? That's the only thing that's more perfectly fit together. Someone sent me a meme this week, and it said, man, God woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? And then God said, today I will make kale. And I was just like, oh, that's my love language. That is my love language, right? Kale belongs in the trash can. But harmony is just things that make sense. They might be different, like peanut butter and jelly, right? But they just come together and make sense. But a biblical idea of peace is where I want to ground us this morning because it's more than tranquility and quiet under the stars. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's more than just rest from everything that overwhelms us. It's more than just harmony in our personal relationships or putting kale in the trash can. It's all things being made right in God's eyes. That's the kind of peace that Joseph needed, not only to father the baby Jesus, but to be a husband to Mary, to be a leader in that community, and to have a faithful witness to God. And that's the same kind of peace that we need. So what does that peace look like? First of all, it looks like in Christ, having peace with God. Ephesians 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing wall of hostility. In Christ, we can also have peace with one another. Ephesians again says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We can also have peace with creation, our world all around us. Colossians, Paul writes to, to remind us that Jesus is not just the firstborn or the, great, the greatest part of all of the creation. But Jesus himself is the one who spoke it into existence. And in God, looking at Jesus, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Christ Jesus. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Through Jesus, though, whether it's the oppressive thoughts that keep lying to us and keep us paralyzed, whether it's the overwhelming expectations that keep us paralyzed, whether it's the overtaxing busyness that we just need a breath from, whether it's the hurry that makes up our entire life and not the Sabbath that we need, we can also have peace with ourselves. And it's a promise the writer of Romans says, in writing in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with, flow, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The writer seems to think that if you want peace from oppressive thoughts, trust in God. If you want peace from overwhelming expectations, trust in God. If you want peace from overtaxing busyness, trust in God. If you want peace from the hurriedness of your everyday scenes, trust in God in God for he is with us and he will see you through 
And that's the kind of peace that I believe Joseph needed. And I think that's why God sent his messenger to Joseph, because God needed Joseph to be a, a husband to Mary, a father to Jesus, and a leader that would point the light to what God was doing in the world. Now, all of that sounds great, but we must never forget the human element of this all. Mary and Joseph were engaged. They were betrothed. Now, in our setting, we think about engagement. We're like, oh, yeah, then we plan a wedding. In their setting, it was a little bit different. I would even, I would even dare say it's a, it's a deeper commitment because if you were to break your engagement, you actually needed a divorce, right? Engagement in that culture meant a lot. First of all, um, whether you and your significant other, who is going to be your wife or your husband, whether you met first and fell in love, doesn't matter what you did, like falling in love, like your parents had to agree. So again, this was seen as not just like individual decisions. This was family-based decisions. So your parents would have to agree. The second thing is that in that culture, you pay a bride price, right? And that was not, I think I grew up in a setting where I'm just like, oh, that's so patriarchal. It is. But there's also a little bit of grace in there because in that culture, it was a way for that woman to be provided for in case something happened with her, 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 her family or in case something happened to her husband. That bride price wasn't supposed to be received and spent. It was kind of like an investment, right? So that bride price was paid. That was the second thing. But the third thing I think we forget about betrothed uh, or engaged is that remember in John 14 when Jesus says, uh, uh, in my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, right? That's romantic language. You probably didn't know that. You just thought, oh, that sounds cool. Heaven's got a lot of rooms, I guess, or mansions, right? That's romantic language. What Jesus is saying in John 14 is what every single groom would have said to every single bride in probably that culture and context, right? Because when you get engaged, and that's what Jesus is saying, like, right now, you are the bride of Christ, but we're engaged. And what am I doing in the middle of the engagement? I go to my father's house. I build a room. And not when I think it's perfect, but when my father thinks it's perfect, I go and I bring you home to be my wife. That's what John 14 is saying. Jesus isn't just saying, oh, I'm going to go to heaven, la-di-da. Jesus is saying, just like all of you who've been married went to your father's house. Just like all of you worked on that house and built that extra room. Just like all of you couldn't wait till it was done, right? But your father would come out every day and be like, uh, Hank, you need a kitchen. Oh, man, got to build a kitchen, right? Then he'd come back and be like, oh, Hank, you probably need a bedroom, right? Like, just like the father was the only one who would say the time that it was done. That's what Jesus is saying in John 14. So not only are Mary and Joseph engaged or betrothed and the wedding price has been paid and, and, and then to break off anything, you need divorce, but... Joseph is probably, in the middle of all of this, back home at his father's house, building the house or the room that they would live in for the rest of their lives. That's where he is. And because of that, a lot of times engaged couples may not see each other for weeks or sometimes months. So again, let's introduce the human element. Your families are, have agreed. More than that, you're actually in love. You've taken not only steps to plan the wedding feast, but you're actually building a house to move into. And you haven't seen each other for months. And then when you see each other, Mary has some news. Hey, Joe, I'm pregnant. And it dawns upon you with all those feels and emotions that you can imagine Joseph is feeling, right? He's going through all of that. And just when you think he can probably try to get his bearings, she goes, and it's from God. And I think we, we've somehow elevated this story so much that we forget that human element. 
This is not something easy to just take and be like, oh, cool, yeah, it's from God. It sounds great, right? Joseph needed peace. Joseph needed God's peace. Because God's will for Joseph wasn't just a virgin birth. He needed Joseph to be a father to his son. He needed Joseph to be a husband to Mary. He needed Joseph to keep shining for God's glory. So when Mary comes with this story about being pregnant and it's from the Holy Spirit, you can understand that Joseph had no peace. And you can understand how he would rationalize and get to a point where he'd be like, you know what? I'm not buying this story. But I think what I love about Joseph is not only his dedication to God, but his simple care for Mary. Because in that culture, even though we believe, or at least we think, at the time of Jesus, it wasn't practiced as much or was discouraged. Still, by the letter of the law, if you broke an engagement, if you broke a betrothal by getting pregnant with another, you were eligible to be stoned to death. And it's interesting because Joseph is very much a person who followed the letter of the law. But more than that, he loved God and he loved Mary. So instead of following the letter of the law, Joseph shows grace. And for him, he thought the right decision was to not choose death, but to divorce her quietly. And this was a grace to Mary. Because in that culture, not only could she be stoned, she could have been ashamed and made an uh, example of, and people would look down upon her, community would turn her backs on her. Joseph was trying to protect her. So he makes the right choice. Because a lot of times we think life's about making the right choices. He makes the right choice that I'm just going to divorce her quietly and maybe she'll go to her people and have her kid and we'll trust God. It'll work out for them. I will move on. Joseph thinks life is about choices and making the right choices. God teaches Joseph and us that it's about trusting him. You know, a lot of times in life we make it about should I go right or should I go left? And I have found that God is more like, do you trust me? Do you trust me now? Do you trust me now in this? Because here's the peace we can have. If you go right and God wants you to go right, he will bless it. Amen, hallelujah, that's wonderful. You can have peace with that. But you also need to know you can have peace that you go left (laughs) and God wants you to go right. God is powerful enough, scripture says, to make our crooked path straight. God is a king who will clear the past and say, you, my daughter, you, my son, are on the wrong road, but come back to me. I will lead you home. Because if you trust God and you trust God in your situation, he will show you this is the wrong path. And for some of us like me, he's got to scream it at me for me to really hear him, right? He will show you that's the wrong path and put you back on the right path. Joseph thinks it's about choices and right or wrong and, and left or right. And God says, no, no, do you trust me? So he sends an angel in a dream to Joseph. And and Mary is not only exonerated, but the angel goes to Joseph and says, Mary's right. The Holy Spirit is a creative agent that not only uh, God used to create the world, but it's God's creative agent to call people to him. And the Holy Spirit is the father. This is true. Mary's story checks out, Joseph. And what I love about Joseph in here is that, yes, God comes in a dream through, through the angel, and it's like an incredible thing. But when God moves, he's not too busy to see it. He's not too overwhelmed to trust it. 
when God appears, Joseph is able to say, okay, this is what God says. I will trust God. He's able to realize that I thought it was about the right decisions, but it's just about trusting God in this. Because the Holy Spirit brings truth. It helps us see truth. It, is, it not only creates life, but it helps us nurture life ourselves. And then Matthew throws in this line to remind all of us who are kind of like peeking into the scene, right? To remind all of us of something kind of important. That Jesus' coming wasn't just for peace for Joseph, but this was indeed Emmanuel. God with us. And I love that Jesus has so many names. Isaiah himself calls him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Jesus has so many names. But I love that this time of year forces us to remember that name, Emmanuel. And it's a reminder to us this morning, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're going through, God is with you now. No matter how much the devil tries to tell you you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, God loves you and God is with you now. No matter how much you, you look at your life and say, God, this is just not good enough and, and I should be doing better, and, and this, God is with you now. No matter how hard life is, no matter how hard it is to, to even think about a month from now, much less a week from now, we can start right now by, by trying to win the next breath and trying to win the next minute because God is with us now. That's the joy of Emmanuel. Not just that the Messiah would come, but that Jesus keeps coming to us. That Jesus keeps carrying us. That Jesus keeps revealing himself to us. That whatever I need, Jesus is here to fill it. And I think what I kind of really jumped out to me this week was how much the shalom that Joseph needed. You know, he needed peace with God because he was trying to make the right choice and follow the law. So God had to introduce to Joseph that I am a God of grace. And if you trust me, that's what faithfulness to me looks like. That even when you can't make sense of it all, if you rely on me, I will be with you, Joseph. I am with you now. But he also needed peace with others. Remember, our story begins that he wants to divorce Mary. Our story ends that he takes her to be his wife. And I think I missed the grace of Joseph for years in this. Because I was just like, oh yeah, then they get married. It's not a big deal. But remember, she's pregnant. She's going to start physically showing. And Joseph can't be on the farm working on the house, you know, while she's pregnant and showing. And I love that Joseph listens to God, trusts God, trusts the angel's message and says, you know what, Mary, the house ain't perfect. <laughs> you know, like we still don't got a kitchen, but we can be together. And he actually invites her to come into his house and live as his wife. And, and, and back then they had a consummated match. He waited till she had the baby. But I think it's amazing that he wanted peace not only with Mary but with his neighbors around him. Because, you know, people talk. And if this girl has this virgin birth story and she's showing a baby, they're going to talk. But I love the grace and care of Joseph to say, no, 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 no. The house may not be perfect, but come live with me now as my wife. And lastly... I think he needed peace with himself, like we all do. And I love that they, uh, Joseph finds hope in having peace with himself by simply 
resting and trusting God. I think that's a word to us, that no matter how overwhelming things are, if we trust God, we can have access to his peace. Because living in God's will is an answer to our peace. Matthew in this story does a lot of wonderful things. You know, he's been talking about how God shows up in surprising ways, whether it's Rahab or Ruth, or now this virgin birth. But all these ways that God is working is to bring us peace. He talks about how Jesus is meant to inspire us, not just at Christmas, but all through the year as this reminder of Emmanuel, God with us. But even his name, Jesus, which I don't think I pause enough to think about, which means what? Yeshua, yes. But it means the Lord God saves. So I hope this morning, this afternoon for some of us, that you can find peace knowing that no matter what situation you're in, the Lord God saves. No matter what you're struggling with, the Lord God saves. No matter what big choice you have to make, the Lord God saves. That's what Jesus means. And I said life is not about the right choices we make. And I want you to make right choices. They're way better than bad choices, you know? But it's more about trusting God in those choices. And having the peace and freedom to know that if my heart is right with God and I'm trusting him, he will bless it. And if my heart is right with God and I'm trusting him and I make the wrong choice, trusting him will reveal that's the wrong choice and he will put me on the right path. But to help us hold on to God's peace, I think we need to do some physical things. Like the first one is I want to invite you this week to, to, to do or set aside something physical that reminds you of God's faithfulness, you know? It might be, you know, like a, maybe a place you went to and you have a memento from there. I don't know. But I want you to have something physical that you can look at. Because I think we missed that in the, the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's always like, build a monument, you know? Build something to remember. Because we as people forget. So I think if you have, like, it can be a rock for all I care, right? Like, find something that you're just going to put on a table this week that every time you walk by, you say, God is faithful, right? The second thing I want you to do is just remember Christ is with us now. That's what Emmanuel means. Not just that the baby came, but that God is with you now. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The Father is carrying you. Christ lives and is with you now. And the last thing I think I want us to do is simply this. Advent calls us to wait expectantly. And I didn't say this in the last service, but I think for some of us, hope is just a dream. Peace is just a dream. It seems so far away. But I want you to pray and keep praying. Pray and pray through. Because your prayers <laughs> are not like a magic formula. But what your prayers will do is it will teach you to keep looking to God, to keep depending on God, and to keep trusting God to show up. I'd like to invite up Pastor Hannah and the worship team. We're going to close uh, by singing a song, Tremble. And in this song, we're invited and reminded that our Jesus is so powerful that he makes the darkness tremble. That our Jesus' light is so powerful that even the shadows cannot deny but as we sing this song, I want us to be reminded that our God gives us peace. And that peace comes if we trust him. Let's stand and sing together. If you'd like to pray.
bring it all to peace The storm surrounding me Let it break At your name still You call the sea to still The rage in me to still Every wave At your name Jesus, Jesus darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus breathe you call these bones to live you call these lungs to sing once again I will praise Jesus 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 you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble the coming of Jesus brings is not just big picture. You know, I think it's amazing, especially this time of year, we focus on how the coming of Jesus saves the world from their sins, redeems and cleans us. But I love how in the story of Joseph, we realize that God's peace is not just for the big things, but that some of us need peace with ourselves, and Jesus is with us now. And some of us need peace with the people around us, and Jesus is with us now. Some of us need peace with our world, and Jesus is with us now. The peace of God, Emmanuel, God with us, is not just seen in the baby Jesus Christ, but it's seen in the love of God that lives inside of us in the presence that we feel. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much 
for how we are chosen by you, how we are loved by you, how we're carried by you. God, we pray for peace. For those of us who don't know peace because we're, we're struggling, whether it's oppressive thoughts, emotions, or expectations, Lord, we pray that we can find peace and resting in your will. For those of us who are struggling with peace for, for the people around us, God, we pray not only for the absence of conflict, but for reconciliation and healing so that we can know and bring peace even to that situation. But God, we thank you for the reminder this morning that no matter where we are, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're facing, that you are with us now. So Lord, give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. Gift us that peace that beats back all the shadows and all the darkness. Give us that peace that allows us to rest in you, to trust in you, to rely on you. For you are ours and we are yours. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all.